You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. First of all, how many pastors are here and you pastor in San Diego? Lift your hand. Strong San Diego contingent, which is one of my favorite cities. And all I can say is God must be planning a move of God for San Diego because you have so many amazing churches. That is never a negative thing. Uh, one, One of the church plants we've done is the Father's House San Francisco. And what we recognized is, of course, Hillsong and Liberty and City Life and Father's House and Sozo and what. So all these amazing church planners have converged on San Francisco in just the last few years, which I love because that means God's getting ready to pour his food out. Hey, God doesn't pour out a bunch of new wine without putting some wineskins in the right place. So all you San Diego, San Diego people, you are, in fact, wineskins, okay? So how many of you guys believe for a move of God in San Diego? Come on. Like one guy from Idaho said, well, I guess. <laughs> Is that the only option? <laughs> so um, I just want to say, looking around the room, there's just so many people here that I love and have done life and ministry with. And I'm so honored you would come hear me chat and pontificate for this uh, time we have together. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be rich. But I really just want to, because she didn't have to be here, I just want to honor my daughter and son-in-law. So if I don't say anything you like, I already won. My daughter came to my app session. So we're all... But not the other daughters. As only a younger daughter would say. So uh, we're going to have a good time. Um, the, the name of this session is Water Rights, release, Releasing the River of God in Your Church, which uh, that's an indirect result of really what I want to talk to you about. Uh, I, hopefully it wasn't a bait and switch, because what I want to talk to you about is building a prayer structure in your church and building an effective prayer ministry. Yeah, come on. You know, I would say uh, Father's House is 22 years old, and when we planted, we were eight confused people in a living room. Okay, it's me and my wife and three other couples, strum the acoustic guitar, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, please. And then the first Sunday, we had 104 at our big grand opening. This was pre-ARC existence, okay? We didn't have a sending church. We didn't have a sending budget. We didn't have a team. We didn't have a strategy. None of those things. Didn't have any money. Did I mention that? No money. <laughs> Second week, we had 64. Third week, we had 35. So I did the math from 104. I'm like, next week, I tap. I'm out. I did a God, your faithful servant, one month in. Uh, And then God began to turn it around, and we started seeing uh, really what we're all desiring, and that is God comes and does something bigger than all of us. We all want to be a part of a church where the Holy Spirit steps in, and it's not my sermons, it's not my strategy. There's just this wave of the Holy Spirit that we get to ride, and we've been doing that for 22 years. And I do believe if you're a five-year-old church plan, if you're a 10-year-old church, that there are waves and more waves and more waves. And then we're not going to 
We're not going to plateau out as a church. We're not like, hey, we're 25 years old, so now all the gray-haired people are going to go to the grave and, you know, check out. No. I believe that God always saves the best wine for last. And that there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit coming to the earth. I believe there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit coming to the West Coast. So let me just prophesy a little bit, and then we'll do whatever we do. If we get to the content, it'll be awesome. Uh, But... You know, I was there for the Jesus movement, the first one, back in 1968-69, and then Calvary Chapel was birthed out of that. I was just a little guy. My dad would take me over to San Francisco. We'd go down Haight-Ashbury and go to Las Gatos and different places. And I remember when the hippies were coming to Jesus by the thousands and they were baptizing tens of thousands of people in Southern California, Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith and right there at Huntington Beach and Laguna and right there in the ocean. And I remember being a part of that, and it impacted my life. I mean, back when bell bottoms were here for the first time. Anybody with me? <laughs> the real bell bottoms. And uh, the hippies, man, what a group. Um, so I, I remember how that impacted me. And as I've sought the Lord and built our church, I truly believe there is another wave. Not just at that magnitude, but even greater. And moves of God cannot be compared. What God did in the latter rain movement in the 40s, or in the Pentecostal outpouring in the turn of the century, 1904, uh, or what he did at the Jesus Movement, 1968 through 19, early 70s, and then the Vineyard Movement, the Hillsong Movement. You can't compare one movement to another, but here's what I believe. There is coming a greater move that will incorporate all the good things we've seen out of all the moves of God. Hey, thank you. My lovely assistant right here came all the way from the back of the world. Thank you. So truly, she is my full-time assistant. I just love my game show joke. Um, Let's see if this one works. So, you know, I believe you guys are a part of that. And for you church planners, that you're actually preparing wineskins. Is it still doing it? It's okay. Something that's bigger than all of us. And so I want you to get that in your spirit. And here's where I want to parlay into and talk to you about prayer. Anytime there's been a revival in the earth in recorded history, there's been a few kind of random outpourings and what was that, but any significant lasting move of God has always been precipitated by prayer. If you study the Welsh revival, the Hebrides Islands revival, any significant move of God, and here's what you're going to find, a group of people that have given themselves to consistently seek God. So I want to encourage you in the next few minutes. You know, the Father's House right now, we're planting some new churches and we're going to Oakland and we just celebrated Father's House one year in OC and then one year in San Francisco two weeks later. So God's doing some great stuff. And, uh, you know, like I say, I was a reluctant worship leader, gone rogue church plant. Had no clue what I was doing, but here's what I had in my spirit. I was taught at a young age how to seek God and the power of the secret place and to really put a value on the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was raised in uh, what I'll call radical Pentecostalism. Anybody relate what I'm saying? I'm tight, over the top, shake, uh, hanky, wave, you know, your hair falls down. You haven't worshiped until you sang for 45 minutes and everybody's sweating. Hell's hot. Pews are hard. We're going to yell at you. That kind of church. And so the tendency is anytime you have an an excess of charismania or renewal that's unguarded or unpastored or Pentecostalism that's over the top, the tendency is to swing the pendulum the other way. And so the body of Christ for a couple decades, I watched it. And I I love the seeker-sensitive movement. I I learned a lot from Bill Hybels back in the 90s. Uh, I love Rick Warren. I love Saddleback. I love those models. Here's what I want to encourage you. If you've swung away from valuing the manifest presence of God, 
the, the prophetic giftings right. and the weight of the Holy Spirit in your church, I believe that today God's going to put that value back in you. Uh, if, there, if there's not information here, I'm going to try, do my best to dump some impartation on you, okay? Because here's what has sustained our church now. Thousands of people, bunch of locations, God doing more than we ever asked or dreamed, all that stuff. Here's been the secret sauce. Um, the prophetic edge was this, and I, I believe God has done this for many of you. And if you're a church planner, uh, seek God for this. I believe God gives key verses, foundational verses. And then I believe if you have, there's some guys that have been pastor for 10, 20 years, that as God brings you into a new season, he'll give you a fresh word. He'll bring a word to you that is like a stake in the ground. And when you drive that word in the ground, it claims new territory. So our word, as I begin to seek the Lord, the eight people, the acoustic guitar, kumbaya, um, the Lord gives me Exodus thirty three fifteen right? Where Moses is negotiating with God not to kill all his people. And he says, Lord, they're your people. So if you want to kill them, I'm tapping, but they're yours anyway. And as they get ready to go into their inheritance, Moses says this in Exodus 33, 15. He says, Lord, don't lead us up from here without your presence. Because if we go from here without your presence, what else will distinguish us from all the other people groups in the earth? Yeah. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. And he goes, oh, but there's more. Show me your glory. You know the story. Uh, but here's the thing. That has been our key verse. What else will distinguish you from the Elks Lodge or the Mormon church? What else will distinguish you from uh, any other self-respecting cult in your city? Mm-hmm. You're like, we have right doctrine. Hey, nobody cares. Yeah. People far from God don't care about your right doctrine. They don't, they don't care that you've exegeted the word correctly and that you know you're right. Everybody thinks they're right. You got to go back to what will distinguish us from all the other people groups in the earth is the presence of the living God, the power and the glory of God, which if you look back to the original model of church building, what was it? It was the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. And what made the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David and Solomon's temple and the rebuilt version of Herod's temple? What made them so significant? What was the central part? It was the kabod. Hebrew word means the weight, the glory. And it's still to this day, the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, what happened? The weight came back. All of a sudden, the glory of God was on everybody. And so my conviction, my thesis for our chat today is this, that people in your city are hungry for God. They're hungry for a manifestation of God. And encountering the power of a living God is not a repellent as it was in the ultra-Pentecostal movement. It doesn't drive seekers away as it did in charismania. No, but if we will present Jesus for who he is. Because see, I just believe that Jesus is irresistible. And he's beautiful. And the Holy Spirit is attractive. And when people come to your church, they actually want to encounter him. The presence of God doesn't scare seekers off. It draws them like moths to the flame. They come to your church plant because they actually are hoping that God is in that building. Now let's think what people have to do to get to your new church plant. You got to jump over all kinds of obstacles and fear because you're meeting in some kind of slap together middle school auditorium or senior uh, citizens building or a drugstore or a community center. That's where we started. I mean, we, we had this community star uh, center. There was so much beer on the floor. They had all the cheap bands from the nights before, and your people's feet would stick to the floor during worship. And during a quiet moment of salah, all you'd hear was, 
Come on, turn the band back up. And then there would be parties, and these helium, helium balloons would gather on the roof, and while I was preaching, they would actually fall, because they'd run out of helium. About, about altar time seemed to be consistent. I think it was little demons just tugging on them, you know. So finally, I just went with it and said, we have a winner. You know, we have a winner. But, but here was the deal, uh, is, is the presence of God didn't repel people, it actually attracted people. But what, they, what do they have to get over? Because when they come to your church, this is a new experience, right? And they find this place and someone says, come to this church. And we're talking about unchurched people. We're talking about people that heard there was something new and exciting in their city. And then they show up and there's these over-caffeinated people waving signs going Sunday fun day. And they're thinking, Sunday, I'm hungover day, right? And then they go a little further. And we wave these signs, by the way. And like, Here's another one. You look marvelous. They're thinking, I look like So they get past all the sides. I'm sorry, I offended three of you. But that's not bad for this size of group. But then they get in there, and here's, here's our story. About two songs in, man, here he comes. And I've heard this testimony year after year. That people say, I came in, and I started crying, and I'm not a crier. I've had people come up and say, I don't go to church, but there's an aura in here. There's an energy. There's a vibe. What, what is this? And I'm saying, he is the Holy Spirit. So the only way to release that river and to sustain that river is through prayer ministry. And so let me get to my notes, because all that was just introductory rant. If we were to build all that we talked about on two verses, let me give you, for you note takers, um, Matthew 21, 18, you know it. I just want to remind you, this is where Jesus quoted and said, uh, he quotes Isaiah. He says, my house should be called a house of what? But you've made it a den of thieves or you've turned it into something else. All right. So I believe we turn the house of God into many other things that are not necessarily or inherently evil, wicked. For instance, we turn what's supposed to be a house of prayer. And that Greek word means communion and worship. So a place where worship is extended and where God comes down and meets with his people. Jesus said primarily, this is what my house is to be known for. But we've turned his house into a house of programs, a house of technology, a house of sermons, a house of great coffee bars and kids ministry, a house of leadership training, lattes. And we love all those things. Right. But if we are not primarily building a house of prayer, we've missed the main thing. How many believe Jesus wants to anoint the main thing? Of course he does. So, and hopefully this is not your church, but we've all had this experience, and maybe you you could testify of this, is you go to visit a church in another city, and they got all of this in pieces, right? Uh, Guest services, check. Signs in the parking lot, check. Great latte bar, check. Good sound of light, check. Relevant message, check. Kids ministry. They just went through. Everything's there. But then you're kind of like, there's something missing. There's no weight. There's no essence. There's no presence. I'm telling you, if we will welcome the manifest presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit, and that will be a consistent factor in your services, people will come to a stanky community center, get stuck to the floor with beer, and they'll keep coming back if they're meeting with Jesus. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Ian Bounds said this, Without prayer, the gospel cannot be preached effectively, nor the church built successfully. The absence of prayer creates an absence of God in our ministries. I like the succinctness of of C.H. Spurgeon. He said, as the prayer meeting goes, so goes the church. 
Dwight L. Moody said, every great movement of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Just let that sink in. Are you that kneeling figure? See, I, I, I was on drugs early and forgot to go to Bible college. True story. <laughs> Everybody's going to Bible college. I'm like, yeah. And then started a band, forgot to go to Bible college. Uh, I eventually went back to Bible college. So I've always been on the handicapped side of being underqualified. So if anybody feels underqualified uh, to do your ministry, I am the poster boy of underqualified. I, I guarantee it. And I don't say that with any pseudo humility whatsoever. It is absolute truth. So I learned early on that I had to lean heavier on prayer than most of my peers. So people ask, how do you prepare for a message, Dave? I'll just fall to my knees and say, this is how I do it. I wait on God. I've been seeking God for revival in Northern California for 23 years, and I'm not going to stop. Because prayer, I want people to see that the church that God is building, there's some leaders who are a praying figure. When people think about you as their pastor, not that you have to kind of build some kind of fake persona, but they need to know that you're just spending time with Jesus. So are you guys with me? Anyway, that's a rant on a quote. The second foundational text would be Acts 6, 4. You can write that one down. You probably know it. So in Acts chapter 6, here's what was happening. The church is growing. The programming was increasing. Community outreach was busting at the seams. And the irony is this, that the very things you're looking for as a church planter will actually diminish your capacity to build the church once it gets going. Because as a church planner, you are the realtor, the janitor, the setup, the teardown, you're checking the graphics, you're making the videos, you're working with the band, you're going to the hospitals, you're doing all this stuff. And that's what the apostles were doing in Acts chapter 6. Till they realized we are neglecting the main thing. If you know Acts 6 verse 4, um, it says they finally came and said, well, listen, we got to get a better plan. So they delegated responsibility. I won't go far down this road, but for pastors and church planters in the room, we got to get better at delegating authority and responsibility to qualified people and then measuring what they do. So that's a whole nother chat. But they said, we will give ourselves what? To prayer and the ministry of the word. Isn't it interesting that when the church flatlined in Acts chapter six, they went right back to what Jesus said. They went right back to the foundational truth. They said, we will give ourselves, and I'm going to give you one Greek word, proskotereo, and there's a roll of the R that I won't try, but proskotereo is one Greek word that means we will give ourselves continually. One Greek word makes up four English words. Here's what they said. We will give ourselves continually. Think about your life and ministry. We will give ourselves, continue. Your leadership team, we will give ourselves. This word, prescate, whatever, means to be devoted to, consistent in, committed to one thing, to wait constantly, to persevere in, and not to faint. So you're going to see this over and over in the Word. God says, hey, love your programs, love your systems. We do all that. Leadership training, love it. Hour and 15 minutes, 75 minutes service. We're the captains of that. Good parking lot, we're on it. But without a group of leaders practicing Acts 6 and 4, we're just a bunch of programming and a bunch of lightweight, right? Are you guys with me today? I may preach a little bit. Because here's what happened. When they gave themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, read on through Acts chapter 6, there was an immediate payoff of results. How many of you guys love some results in ministry, right? We got, we got to measure some results. 
Because I don't, I don't want to spend my life pouring all my time and passion into the black holes of energy that can show up at your church. You, you know what I'm talking about. Just the passion suckers, the energy takers, the, the, the black holes of, of all that. And, and we don't want to manufacture energy to do something that God's really not breathing on. Now, I guarantee if you've been pastoring very long at all, you got some of those. And sometimes you just need to go out there with the ministry pruning shears. And it feels so good. Let me tell you. Like, for instance, I'll name one and this will offend the other three people. But um, we had a men's conference for years, right? What a conference, you know. So we put one on and then they didn't show up. Okay, like like I planned, and I'm not bitter. I need counseling, but that's another. Thing. <laughs> that's not the point, is it? So we were doing these men's conferences, and we're bringing in the best of the best, the biggest of the big shots. We're bringing in the bands. We got the golf games and the boxing rings and the the go karts in the parking lot and the tri tip, and we're throwing little people on Velcro walls, whatever. Um, <laughs> it, I'm just saying, it is a man party. It's the best. It's the best man party you ever saw. And we could not get, we could not get 10% of our men population. Any given weekend, seven, 8,000 men running around the father's house, all these locations. We can't get them. And we're putting, putting it on. Now the women, they go, oh, we're going to have a women's night. Come, there'll be a cup of tea. Place packed to the rafters. <laughs> oh, so angered me. Anyway. Right? The women just get it, Randy. They just get it. So we, I, I made a command decision. I said, we're, we're shooting men's conferences in the head. And so we pruned it, okay? And that's a harsh language, but it's just, it's just us here. And I find it therapeutic to talk like that. With and why did the men, they rose up. Well, you don't love the men and blah, blah, blah. So you just have to recognize those areas. So let me finish because I don't want to leave all, all the men in the ditch of uncommitted Christianity. Um, so last week, last week, the, one of our pastors who's over men's ministry goes, Dave, he goes, no conference, no hype, no prime rib sandwiches, no, no games on the lawn. He says, I just want you to come and have a conversation. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And, and I was recently on a trip and God gave me a few things to call the men up. So that was the big idea is just call them up. So I get up last Sunday and I go, hey, uh, this Friday, if this is your home church, I want to have a conversation with you men. So don't bring your non-church people. Don't bring people far from God. Don't bring guests. Just us, men of the house. I'm going to have a man-to-man chat with you. <laughs> that was it. We came in. We sang two songs. And I got up and had this chat. And it was the most powerful men's night. There was a thousand men leaning in. Yeah, a thousand guys showed up. I'm like, well, look at you. <laughs> and I wanted to say, there's no prime rib. No Velcro. Anyway. <laughs> What I'm saying is, a lot of times what you're pouring your energy and your strength into is not creating the measurable fruit. So they go and they they pour out their heart in prayer. And here were the results. And I read Matthew 6, 7, if you want to look at it. It says this, and the message of God kept on growing and spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a large number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith, accepting Jesus as Messiah and acknowledging him as the source of eternal salvation. Amplified, Acts 6-7. Now, again, three main things that happened. The kingdom was growing and spreading. The number of disciples was increasing greatly. And the, the number of priests, in other words, the hardest demographic of people to reach with the gospel in their day 
we're coming in mass numbers. Think about this in your church and my church. If the church and the kingdom was increasing rapidly, if the number of disciples was growing quickly, and the hardest demographic of people in your city were coming to Jesus at an alarming rate, and it all happened because the leaders quit running programs and they started seeking God again, all right? So that's what I'm trying to say. How are we doing? Hey, um, get a water here. Let me give you, and I'll try not to belabor these too long, but you guys getting some of this out, out of this so far. Uh, let me give you five ways to es- establish a really solid prayer ministry that will stand the test of time. Uh, number one is establish a weekly time to pray with your pastors or key leaders. Establish a weekly time. Now, some of you have some pastors on staff. Some of you don't. Some of you got some volunteer people. But I guarantee you, everybody in the room has a core group of key leaders that you're leaning on to build the church. Here's what I want to say. you got to pray with them consistently. I would recommend every week. Here's something we've been doing for 20 years since we got our first staff member. Every week we pray with our pastors. Yeah. And I actually have a couple of them here against the back wall and the front wall. We got, we got some of our, I can't believe you guys came to hear me yet again. I, I love you. Thank you. There's no bonus involved. <laughs> Shane, Pastor Shane. We just lost East Bay. We lost East Bay. Okay, so. Here's what we do every week at 8 o'clock in an off-site location. This guy donated us a house. We call it Club Ted. All the pastors are there. Uh, it is a mandatory meeting. It is mandatory that you're on time. We keep another, one another accountable. Now, if there's sickness or someone's got to make a run to school, there's different things. But we commit to this time. And every week, every week, we pray together. And we come together, and it says in Habakkuk, first to eat the donuts and drink the caffeine. So we do that first. And there's donuts and coffee. And, and then, and then we, we come together and we share our hearts for a little bit. But I tell you something. Somewhere in that hour every week, the Holy Spirit shows up. Yeah. Now, if you will pray consistently. You know, 23 years now, coming up in a couple months, 23 years, we've never had a church split. We've had a, a couple crazies, you know, had to let a couple pastors go, had a few lawsuits. I had a male elder that decided he was a woman. So we've, we've had our scars and battles. But in 23 years, we've never had a rogue pastor take a group of people. We've never had a church split. We've never had a moral failure on our lead team of pastors. And I accredit it. I credit all that to praying together. Why? Because when we're praying together, um, Pastor Rich is here now. He's tear up when I think about these guys. Pastor Rich and Hillary are amazing. He's one of our worship pastors. But um, five years ago, they had a daughter, and she ended up with a condition called... She has seizures. She's seizures, epilepsy, um, some blindness. And, and we walk through this thing with these guys. And it's just amazing what they've become through all this. But I can remember many days, Rich just coming in and just pouring out his heart. And we all just standing around him, laying hands on him, praying for this precious couple and standing with them with their daughter. Nothing will bring your team together like when one is hurting and you confess and you share. And so that's part of it turned a corner really quickly but when you when you open your heart like that yeah. and you're vulnerable with each other yeah. this last week because of what happened in southern cal and at great lord's church and different things we're really praying for this thing that is on so many people right now of anxiety yeah. and depression and suicidal tendencies yeah. i was preaching 11 o'clock service and as clear as i'm talking to you god gives me a word of knowledge and says there's a few people here right now that are right on the edge of taking their life mm-hmm. 
which is never a comfortable subject to go to as you're trying to, you know, wrap it up big. All right, have a great week. But I couldn't get away from it. So I shared this word and actually got a couple of emails. A guy said, I was coming to church for the last time this Sunday. And he completely got rocked and got set free. So back to Pastor Prayer. So we're Pastor Prayer. And this was the, the week we started praying this. And Pastor Dino, youth pastor with East Bay and Shane back here, he, he says, hey, my brother-in-law, man, we found him at his house playing video games, curtains drawn, hadn't gone out, got a bunch of snacks from Target, and just dark, dark, nine days, hadn't talked to anybody. So Dino starts praying for his brother-in-law about this anxiety and depression. Next thing you know, we're gathered around him. Next thing you know, we are praying for the church. We're praying for the Father's house that we will be an atmosphere that when people come in with anxiety and depression and heaviness, they're going to walk into an atmosphere where uh, Acts 319, it says times of refreshing, which that word means you can breathe again. So we... Our prayer for each other and the anointing that was on it parlayed into a prayer covering for the house and it ended up being a supernatural weekend. I'm saying if you pray with your leaders and for your leaders, it is the impetus of what you want to see God do in your church. Amen. Acts 13 2, just write this one down. But it's where they came together and they fasted and they were praying. Uh, There was leaders at the church in Antioch and it says they met to give themselves to a time of worship and fasting. And then here was the payoff, if you'll keep reading in Acts 13. They heard clearly from the Holy Spirit. They put the right people in the right place at the right time. They had clear timing and direction, and it all came out of pastors and leaders praying together. Awesome. The direction you need for your next season, God will reveal it to you when you pray with your leaders. I'll move on. A lot more we could say about that. The second thing is create a consistent time and place for corporate prayer. Create a consistent time. This is the release of Ezekiel 47 River, the water rights, okay? And here's the big idea. I wrote it down. I want to say it accurately. The water that we dig for in the secret place determines the volume that will be released on the weekend. The water you dig for in the secret place will determine the volume that's released on the weekend. Now, I believe that there is a corporate secret place. Remember Jesus said, and your father who sees in what? Secret will reward you openly. So what we do uh, every week, again, our practice at the Father's house, and we've been doing this all these decades, is we have a one hour that's just prayer, prophetic, worship, we run after God. And we dig. And it's awesome, and it's powerful, and sometimes it's work, and it, prayer is the work of the ministry. But what we dig for with that corporate prayer meeting, that secret time with the intercessors, it determines the flow of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Let me just help somebody with this. And it's this, don't try to dig on the weekends. Don't dig on the weekends. It's not the time to dig. And we've all had this experience, right? You got the rookie worship leader. It's feeling a little tense in the meeting, right? And the rookie worship leader says, hey, um, I feel a little resistance in here. Anybody ever been in that meeting? <laughs> uh, we're, we're really going hey, to really have to press in today for breakthrough. I feel like the enemy is really coming against our worship. So uh, we're just going to bear down and uh, do some battle and uh, charge the gates of hell. You know, right? And the new guy's like, warfare, resistance, gates, hell? Oh, hell no. Right? And suddenly, he feels a strong desire to check the oil in his car. Right? Or he's getting a phone call from mom. Um, 
Listen, the weekend is not the place to dig. Right. Whatever you carved out in the secret place, enjoy it or suffer it on the weekend and learn from it. And then go back and dig in the secret place. So I'll tell you, when we, when we walk into the auditorium, and I think Rich led this weekend, these guys lead, they do an amazing job. But man, when they stand up and start singing, the Holy Spirit just, well, you guys, we had some guests right here, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not puffing this up. Just a river of God. But it's because we're recruiting a thousand intercessors to be a part of an army during the week that will go after God in the secret place and then release that river. So find a place. Um, we call it pursuit, but don't start, don't try to sustain something that you can't sustain that has life on it. Let me say that better. There's nothing more painful than a dead prayer meeting. Right? You may testify. I mean, take a belt sander to my face, but do not. (laughs) Make me sit through an hour of dead prayer meeting. It's the worst. So here's what. I'll drink to that. That was pretty good. That is the Instagrammable tweet moment. (laughs) But, um,. What was I talking about? <laughs> anyway, it was powerful. What, what was it? Oh, the dead permanent thing. Yeah, so. Um, so what we're doing at East Bay, how often do you guys have Pursuit now? You're every week. Uh, Napa is every week. Roseville is twice a month. So what we'll do is, as a new campus is up and rolling, we'll start with one. And then as the band and the worship, like uh, right now, uh, I don't see Matt Bianca in here, but the Father's House Orange County, they're doing one pursuit night a month. And it, what it is, it's one hour of worship and prayer and prophetic. And, and they're putting energy in it and it's happening. So do whatever you can sustain. Uh, and then as you do that, it's going to become a part of the culture of your church. Uh, and so that, that's number two. Number three, uh, intentionally define and build your prayer army. Intentionally define and build your prayer army. As you guys leave today, um, I'm going to give you a book that has just come out this week, uh, Pursuit 21 Days of Fasting and Prayer Devotional. But in there, um, you're going to find this card. And this card is called uh, An Army of Intercessors, the 1,000. So I'm just giving you this card to give you a little creative seed. So what we're doing, we believe God gave us the number of 1,000 intercessors. And on the back... There are seven things that these intercessors are committing to. They're saying, I will regularly attend pursuit nights on Thursday. I'll intercede daily for our pastors. I'll participate in prayer walks, intercede during services, carry a heart for the lost, be committed to, the, uh, to my own personal prayer life, and I'll be a part of the TFA smoke. Okay. Then they sign this. Now listen, here's why. You've you got to know your army. You've got to recruit your army. And if you're not intentional about recruiting and maintaining intercessors, prayer will be the first thing to disappear in your church. Don't assume people are praying. It's, it's an area we've got to keep them accountable for and, and motivated. And so, like, back to our services, while I'm preaching, at every location, there's a rotation of intercessors in private rooms crying out to God. Now, if you came to the Father's house, We are not an overtly charismatic church. I don't speak in tongues in the microphone, and I don't prophesy in King James English. Now, there are the gifts of the Spirit operating, but you can bring your unsaved friends and relatives, and they're going to feel okay there, right? You would know, is this a Pentecostal church? Is it a charismatic church? You're not going to know that. You're just going to go, what's the aura? What's the vibe? But here's the reality. 
There are people touched in a back room somewhere speaking in tongues at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're crying out to God and they're bombarding heaven for a breakthrough. So you've got to have some intercessors. you got to intentionally build an army. Amen? I can say a lot about that, but I think you get it. Read over this card and do whatever that fits your context. Number four, establish a yearly rhythm of calling the church to specific times of prayer and fasting. A yearly rhythm, call your church to specific times of prayer and fasting. You know, I'm so grateful for Pastor Chris, guys like Jensen Franklin, who'll be here tonight. Why? Because they've blown the trumpet in the last decade. They have called the body of Christ back to prayer and fasting. The lost tool in the arsenal of the church is fasting. And so we do a 21-day fast uh, in January. That's been uh, kind of our our pattern. Thus, this book, uh, you can modify it to fit whatever you're doing. A lot of times we'll do a, a fall fast just for leaders. Could be seven days, could be 14 days. Don't get religious about it. Don't get weird about it. But make sure it's part of the rhythm of your church. You know, we're getting ready to go into summer. And all, you guys know what summer's like in church. is California. Everybody goes to the lake and goes wherever they go. Uh, and so I'm the kind of leader that I despise losing momentum anytime. Right. You know, I don't care if the Niners are in the playoffs. I want the place packed and the glory of God in the room. Are you with me? <laughs> Or whatever your team is. Um, and so one of our leaders were at Pastor Prayer. And uh, I believe it was Pastor Joseph said, hey, I feel like God wants us to do a three-day fast, just us leaders, going into summer. And he actually called the fast, which is awesome. Because for every lead pastor in the room, Joel chapter 2, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain, call the people to a fast, days of mourning, rend your hearts, not your garments, that whole thing. Guess who's holding the trumpet? You are, right? So as the lead pastor, a lot of times you're the one going, da, 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 da. we're all going to go hungry for 21 days. And they're like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah, you ever heard, uh, you ever heard um, Pastor Rick Bizet say, I love this, when he, when he lays this line out, he goes, you know, uh, Highlands and Pastor Chris, they, they, they beat us in everything. They're faster, bigger. He says, but we got them in one area. We can pull off a 21-day fast in three days. <laughs> <laughs> so, go, Rick. My man. But uh, so Pastor Joseph says we should do this three-day fast. And sure enough, there was a grace on it. And the last, like, three days of May or whatever it was, all the leaders and then some of the small group leaders and zone leaders, they found out about it and they joined us. And we went on a three-day water fast. And I'm telling you, we have just come through the best momentum summer I've ever seen. And I think it's a direct result of obedience to seeking God. Are you with me? Because um, one more thought on fasting. We'll wrap up here in a bit. Um, when you're fasting according to Isaiah 58, guess what's going to happen? People are going to get saved in the church. Yeah. When you're fasting according to Isaiah 58, this is the fast that I have chosen, right? You'd set the oppressed free and break every yoke and don't oppress people. So when we fast according to Scripture, here's what's going to happen. People are going to get free in your church. They're going to get saved more frequently. You're going to see leaders get free of their junk, and the kingdom is going to advance. You cannot read the back half of Isaiah 58, all those promise verses. You cannot outrun the open heaven that's going to happen in your church if you will consistently fast and pray. Amen? Amen. And the last one, build a personal prayer life that you want to see reproduced in your leaders. Personal prayer life. I think we all know this in the room. Everything rises and falls on leadership, right? 
Um, there's a principle in the Word of God. You get um, hermeneutics or homiletics, which one is it? <laughs> Herman or Haman, uh, where the law of first mention. Uh, and as you study the scripture, the power of first mention. So first mention, when it comes to re- reproducing after your own kind, sets the template uh, for the rest of, of the Bible. You, you guys get that. You're Bible people. But let me read this, uh, this one verse out of the Amplified. In Genesis chapter one, it says they will bear fruit. Listen to this. According to, limited to, and consistent with their kind. Whose seed is in them upon the earth, and it was so. Okay, that is the law of first mention. That's the law of reproducing as a leader. They will bear fruit according to, limited to, and consistent with their kind, whose seed is in them upon the earth, and it was so. So here's what I'm saying. The seeds of the great leaders in your church, you are carrying those in you. You can't reproduce what you say. You can only reproduce who you are. So what do we want to reproduce in our church? Do we want to reproduce generous people? It, start, it rises and falls. That is the honor and responsibility of leadership. There's no getting away from it. Okay. So, and then it goes, you know, Paul emphasized this principle in Philippians. He said, keep putting into practice everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So we're at the front end, um, the very front end, not trying to put a timeline on it, but we're at a stage in our church where we're looking at the next generation and we'll transition my role to uh, probably my oldest daughter and her husband and got Jude and sis. We're praying through all that. But as we're moving into these transition years, uh, and I'm looking at what God's doing after 23 years in ministry, and uh, it's not like I'm going to curl up in the fetal position to go be with Jesus. I'm going to golf and do apostolic things and have a great time, and I'll be around there. So some of the, why are you quitting, Pastor Dave? Anyway, <laughs> my thought on this was this. Am I reproducing the thing that I was carrying in sons and daughters in such a way that I truly can carry it into the next generation? That's the question I have to ask. Not that I preach good sermons and do we have a good following? Were the crowds up and the money was there? No, no. Are we reproducing in our disciples the essence of what built the house in the first place? Because if it's being reproduced, the kingdom is on a good runway headed into the future to change our cities to the glory of God. Amen. And Dude, I'm living in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm a man of faith. I believe the word of God is true. But I don't mind living in the back half of Hebrews 11. And it's this. If I don't see it in my lifetime, that will not diminish my confidence of what I've invested my life to build. It will happen in the next generation, right? Some of you are going to see it in your life. Some of you are going to die sowing into it. Either way, you're all good. God puts you on the same list. And it frustrates me about Hebrews 11. God's like, these moved mountains and they changed nations and they saw their dead come back to life. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then without even a pause or a comment says, and some were sawn in half. Sawn <laughs> 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 in the freaking half. <laughs> we're just raising dead people. <laughs> now, the people that lived in caves and got sawn in half they're in the same list with the same reward as those who saw the dead raised. I'm telling you, you just got to go after it. Pray it. Believe it. Don't ever quit. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, 
visit artconference.com.